Well, a report has just come out on our euthanasia laws. Um, it only covers, they have to report every uh, June the 30th. Uh, and because the law is only coming, the report only covers the first five months of the new law for assisted suicide. So it's hard to see any trend. But I think I, what I found most disturbing was the response to the report. Let's check it out. <laughs> So assisted suicide in New Zealand, so far there's been 143 deaths and one investigation. But what I found fascinating was the response. Uh, and David Seymour, the architect of the law, said the one big failing of the law was the decision to narrow its scope to exclude people with grievous and irre irremediable conditions. In other words, not only people who were terminal, but just people who had conditions they didn't like. Uh, and he said he agreed to this amendment to ensure that the law would pass, but still feels it's too narrow. Ah, typical. You start narrow and then you expand. And the registrar's report, the author of the report, said that one of the main themes of feedback to the ministry was that the threshold for accessing euthanasia was too high. Quote, the legislation is not as enabling as some people were hoping for, with the criteria making an assisted death more restrictive than overseas jurisdictions. This was coupled with hope for a broadening of criteria over time, end quote. But in the same article, Dr. John Kleinsman, a bioethicist at the Catholic organisation and the Nathaniel Centre, said he hoped the ministry would collect a broader range of data on assisted dying, including people's reasons for choosing the service, because this could help safeguard against wrongful deaths by helping to identify whether people felt a duty to die because they were a burden on family or caregivers, which is a very real concern. Well, and then the media started rolling out the stories of why the law should be expanded. And of course, Sunday Program did their usual one-sided campaigning and presentation of a major social issue with this story. Uh, Sunday failed to include a palliative care doctor or a critic of euthanasia in the debate because Sunday program is all about pushing their narrative. One interesting thing about this story was that the journalist recorded a conversation with the patient, ensuring it was on record to ensure that the patient didn't feel pressured to follow through with assisted suicide or euthanasia due to the filming of the feature for the Sunday program. Uh, and unbelievably, that short question is the same method doctors will use to check that a patient and anyone else considering assisted suicide or euthanasia hasn't been coerced. Just a simple yes or no. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's no pressure when you're on camera to the whole nation or when a whole program has been built around you making a certain decision, apparently. You know, coercion is subtle. It's difficult to detect. And sometimes a person even doesn't even realise they are under its influence. And protection provided against it in the legislation is just a simple question from one doctor. But what they don't tell you is the other side. Uh, and here is one, this one. Uh, this guy was diagnosed with stage four geoblastoma, an aggressive form of brain cancer. And when he was diagnosed, he was told that he had a golf ball sized tumor in his brain and only had two months to live. Uh, now the typical prognosis is 14 to 24 months. He said, they told me two months, I was 29 years old. Uh, and since being diagnosed, 
Lemus has undergone three surgeries, tried every available treatment, and according to Mayo Clinic, geoblastoma is a disease that can be slowed but not cured. Despite his diagnosis, Lemus has gotten married, purchased his few home, and changed careers. And he says, uh, honestly, I'm thankful to God for every day. The first thing I do when I wake up and the last thing I do before going to sleep is thank God for that day. Imagine if euthanasia-assisted suicide was available. He's told he has two months. He would have qualified, and yet he had six uh, years and still going. Uh, here's another one. Now, this is a sad story that illustrates the dangers of liberal euthanasia laws. A Canadian woman suffering from long COVID has applied for assisted dying. Let's just watch this video clip. A 53-year-old Toronto woman says she is in the process of applying for a medically assisted death in Canada known as MAID. Tracy Thompson says living with long COVID is causing crushing fatigue. Uh, it's been a radical uh, shift from you know being able-bodied and employed to basically bedbound on average like 20 plus hours was spent a day lying down. Thompson says she had COVID-19 over two years ago and can't work. Her condition leaving her with brain inflammation, swelling and scarring of the heart and serious food allergies. Going on the Ontario Disability Program, she says, would give her $1,169 a month. But even with that, Thompson doesn't know how she would afford to live. Thompson says she asked her doctor about MAID. In March of 2021, Canadian legislation changed, moving the eligibility to qualify beyond someone facing a natural death that was reasonably foreseeable to allowing a person with an intolerable and irreversible illness or disease or disability to qualify. Uh, yeah, so there we go. Slippery slope in Canada. And notice how she said, look, it's not a, a pain issue. It's exclusively a financial consideration. She said the choices are to basically die slowly and painfully or quickly. Those are the options that are left. But is that the case? I mean, she said she still enjoys life, doesn't want to die, but doesn't think she could survive without an income. I mean, not only is the story very sad, it also highlights the dangers of liberal euthanasia laws, which inevitably get expanded over time. And we can see that possibly happening in New Zealand. And we only need to look to Canada, a mini-me or maybe a big-me of New Zealand in terms of social and moral decline to see that happening. Let's look at the latest data from Health Canada. They recently released their uh, report on, on euthanasia and the report says that there were over 10,000 assisted deaths in 2021, up from just 1,000 in 2016. Yep almost nine times the amount in just five years. Uh, and this is the first report since the government expanded eligibility for euthanasia in March 2021. And they, they, they changed the law to including people who are not terminally ill could use euthanasia, permitted a doctor or nurse practitioner to lethally inject a person who's incapable of consenting, even if that person was previously, if that person was approved for assisted death previously. So therefore, Incompetent people can die by euthanasia in Canada, uh, even if they may have changed their mind. So you don't need to check competency. And they've also waived the calling down period, the 10-day waiting period, if a person's natural death is deemed to be reasonably foreseeable. I'm not sure 
how you fully figure that out. So a person could request euthanasia on a bad day and die the same day. Uh, and approved euthanasia for mental illness alone in Canada. So they've approved it for mental illness alone. But there's a two-year moratorium so that they can create guidelines. Uh, and the main reasons for requesting euthanasia, let me just cut to that one, is notice that it's a loss of ability to engage in meaningful activities and loss of ability to perform activities of daily living. And there it is first mentioned, inadequate control of pain or concern about controlling pain. So it's not the biggie, but look at that. It's concerning that approximately 1,740 people, 17%, died by euthanasia based on loneliness and isolation. And uh, many people with significant medical conditions also live with loneliness and isolation. And social isolation and loneliness require a compassionate, uh, caring community, don't they? Not death by lethal injection. Here's a question. Why is it that euthanasia is not fully funded, or sorry, that euthanasia is fully funded by the government, yet palliative care is only partially funded? And it's now in serious threat of dying from government neglect, excuse the pun. Too many New Zealanders are unable to access acceptable end-of-life care, and thus they can die in pain and suffering simply because they don't have that palliative care. Nobody should suffer unnecessarily towards the end of our life, and our hospices are an essential service that prevents and relieves suffering right through to the end of the life. Yet hospices are simply not able to fundraise enough money to survive. And also some hospitals have no specialist palliative care services at all. And many of us have had family members who needed palliative care, or at least none of someone in palliative care, and the demand for the specialist medic medical care is only going to increase significantly in the near future as our population ages. And therefore, the number of people requiring palliative care is forecast to increase by approximately 25% over the next uh, 15 years. The government's made little effort to address this growing problem and to increase funding for this essential service. And euthanasia is instead given priority in full government funding. And it begs the question, is this really a government of kindness? And I'm quoting from an excellent article by Danielle Van Dalen, senior researcher at the Maxim Institute. It's entitled, Palliative Care is in Danger of Dying from Government Neglect. And uh, uh, what I found, in, uh, I, I'd encourage you to search out that article on the Maxim website, uh, maxim.org.nz, I think it is. But what I found incredible, and I leave you with this clip, is that about one hour before that slanted Sunday program that I mentioned earlier was a beautiful clip about a family caring for an elderly relative. Same channel, separated by an hour, and I don't think they saw the contradiction in the story. It was about a family in Thames that have become unlikely TikTok stars through videos highlighting, highlighting how they care for their grandfather with Dementia. Dance between a grandson and his kuru. He just happened to come out in the shed and the music was playing, so I just grabbed Papa and had a bit of a kani kani. <laughs> I love you. 
Moments like this making Jim and Jane's kingy, unlikely TikTok stars. Hundreds of thousands of likes, 35,000 followers, as James Kingy posts about his papa's dementia challenges. The graft of sleepless nights, the daily chores, the impromptu boxing workouts. So you just come flying in with the old one-twos. It's old boxing form and you see his eyes and it's just the concentration and everything, you know, his form and everything is just... I gotta be, I gotta look out. And the wandering off. That's a problem solved by the TikTok community who suggested a tracker. And we've got it under here, so we've got a couple of layers of clothing on them and just trying to make it as unnoticeable on them as possible. Alzheimer's NZ says the pair's close relationship is helping to normalise a condition faced by 79,000 individuals. I definitely want to say thank you to them for sharing their story because that can be the most powerful thing that we can do is um, uh, to let others know that they're not alone. Dementia numbers are expected to double by 2050. Many will be cared for at home. The Kingi's multi-generational whare coming with a live-in nurse. I guess it's not as easy as James makes it out to be. Um, it is pretty hard, but yeah, as he said, with the right support, right love, you know, it's possible, it's doable. While James looks after his papa, he says Jim Kingi's actually saved him from a life of drug abuse, moving in when he saw his grandfather deteriorating. He's healing me in this journey while I'm taking care of him. The household proud of their papa and his mukupuna, Ivan Tahana, one year. What a beautiful story, isn't it? I mean, that's what families and palliative care are all about. We can live without assisted suicide and euthanasia. That's called real dignity. Mm -hmm.